0: Welcome to Money Talks, a series of interviews with me, Liam Halligan, economics and business editor of GB News. In this episode, I talk to Howard Cox, founder of the campaign group Fair Fuel UK. A pharmacologist by training, Howard built a successful career as a consultant to small businesses, specialising in technological and logistical issues. Over recent years, he's teamed up with the Road Haulage Association to lobby against levels of UK fuel taxation. In this wide-ranging interview, Howard stands up for what he calls long-suffering UK motorists. And he also argues, despite being in his own words instinctively pro-business and pro-free markets, that the government should now impose a windfall tax on large oil and gas companies. You, you're a pharmacologist by background. You spent a lifetime in, in tech consulting, particularly for lots of small businesses. How did you emerge as probably Britain's foremost campaigner for
1: cheaper fuel? It's an incredible. It's a weird connection, to be honest. Uh, what happened uh, in 2010, I was doing some work for a haulage company. And the haulage company had about 50 trucks. And uh, one of the things I did was look at their balance sheet and their PL. and And there was this line that really threw right into my face that something like 45% of their cost was fuel. And then I went, delved a bit further and I said, hey, this is ridiculous. How much is you're paying that sort of money and how much tax are you paying? At that point, they were paying 70% of that to the government. And I thought, this can't be right. And I did some research to find out a bit more about it. And the haulage companies, I spoke to the Road Haulage Association and the Freight Transport Association, which is now called Logistics UK, and I asked them, why don't we get together and actually have a campaign to actually try and bring fuel duty down? Because th- the cost of uh, running a haulage company and everything to do with logistics and the distribution chain was horrendous. And so that's how it happened. And I've passionately believed that we're, you know, we're still the highest tax drivers in the world. Uh, this government is actually just still using us as cash cows.
0: I think I'm right in saying that about 55 or 60% of what we pay on the forecourt for our petrol and diesel go straight to the government which is high by international standards as you say we should disclose that your campaigning work and it is pretty pretty energetic if i may say so is backed by the road haulage association can you tell us where you think we are historically in terms of the cost of living squeeze the cost of fuel the impact of rising
1: prices on our economy well, it's very, very simple. Everything we do depends on road transport. Everything that's in this studio here, everything in everyone's office, everyone at home, once arrived on a truck and that trunk, truck was uh, fueled by diesel. And the cost of diesel, and, and, and this is an important point to remember, we're the only country in the world that has diesel higher priced than petrol. Every other country recognised diesel as the commercial heartbeat of any economy. And so it should be. And it's taxed less by those, especially in, in, in the EU. And one of the most important things for us to recognise is that any penny increase, 10p increase, and in the last year, 50% increase in the cost of filling your uh, people's tanks, our own filling up at the pumps, has been a crippling effect on the economy. And we've seen it in inflation. Every time anyone mentions inflation, the next sentence is usually fuel prices have gone up. It's usually associated with that, as as you all well know.
0: Does this remind you of the 70s? You and I have been around for for quite a while, Howard. I say that with respect. (laughs) Um, Does it feel like the 70s to you? Spiralling energy prices, uh, rising inflation, increasingly
1: fractious society, uh, geopolitical concerns? Yes, to some extent. We had the Middle East crisis then, but we had inflation rates about 15 to 20%, those sorts of areas. I remember it well with the price of a mortgage. Uh, but nowadays, uh, we're looking at something like 6 7%, and it's predicted the end of the year to be 10% in terms of inflation. Yes, in answer to your question, yes, I think it's worse because I think it's more political. How have the energy
0: companies responded? I'm not talking about the people who provide energy to households for their utility bills. I'm talking about the oil and gas majors who actually pump the fuel, and then distribute it via their networks of garages, particularly on motorways, service stations, and all the rest of it. How do you think they've responded? For instance, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, he lowered fuel duty, didn't he, in his spring statement at the end of March. It was meant to be a cost of living, um, uh, uh, help, assistance, taking 5p off duty
1: for fuel. What actually happened? It's an interesting thing. I'd like to say that I can take credit for getting that 5p cut in fuel duty, working with people like uh, Robert Halfon MP and Craig McKinley MP, uh, that we managed to get 50 MPs to actually sign a letter that was sent straight to Rishi's boss, Boris, and say cut fuel duty by 5p. But here's the nub. We haven't seen it, have we? We haven't seen it passed on. We've just finished a survey, Fairfield UK, and we got 40,000 responses in 72 hours. And not one person responded of that 40,000 said they've seen a 6p cut in fuel uh, in in their filling up price in one hit. And that's 5p plus VAT. That's why it's 6p. And to answer your question regarding the fuel supply chain, it's disgusting. Opportunistic profiteering. We're in a situation now where we've got the Ukraine crisis and we've obviously got problems with the supply of oil, but we're not getting that much oil in terms of uh, petrol, certainly petrol, because we refine it here mainly in the UK and it comes from the Middle East mainly. We get a fair bit of diesel, about 15 to 20% from Russia. But fundamentally, for years and years, the fuel supply chain has opportunistically profiteered from uh, any time oil prices go up, pump prices rocket and pump price, when oil goes down, guess what? They come down like a feather. You've heard of the rocket and feather scenario. And fundamentally, uh, the government has allowed them to do it. They're enjoying a shed load of VAT that's coming in from these high prices. Something like three to four billion pounds in the last 12 months. Uh, the 5P cut in fuel duty is nothing to them. Uh, and, and I'm afraid it's not been passed on to drivers. And that's one reason, along with many backbench MPs, we're calling for a body called Pump Watch. We want a body like offgem offcom, that actually... A government regulator. Yeah, I, 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 it goes against every part of my body. I'm a, a one-nation Tory at heart, and I don't... You're a pretty ha- free-market guy. Yeah, I
0: know from talking to you over the years, and yet you want a new regulator that makes sure that the prices that we're charged for our petrol and diesel on the forecourt are a realistic reflection of where energy prices are, where oil prices are, rather than the energy companies... Pushing prices up when oil goes up, but they're not
1: pushing prices down when oil goes down. You've hit the nail on the head, Liam. We want them to be transparent and honest. We want them to make a decent profit. I think there should be a two-stage process with PumpWatch, this regulatory body. We can start off voluntarily. It'd be nice to... When people, trucks, drive by, past garages, there's a kite mark. We adhere yeah. to fair pricing yeah. at the pumps. And we recognize- And we're then not- if
0: people don't voluntarily comply, then you turn the screw if you have to. Yes,
1: it's the same with a windfall tax. I'm very anti uh, uh, punishing success. Why should that happen? But this success has come out of a lucky oil price rise. They've been fortunate and it's a huge. And I think a one-off windfall tax is a long overdue.
0: Let's drill down to that. Cause you were on my live show on the money the other day. And I kind of uh, mischievously asked you directly, so Howard Cox, free marketeer, you want a windfall tax. You agree with this flagship Labour frontbench policy. How
1: has it come to this? It's come to this (laughs) simply because something like I get 2,000 emails a week from drivers saying they can't take much more of this. And I believe provided this windfall tax doesn't go back. It's got to be hypothecated and put back into solving the cost of living. So the money living. is ring-fenced
0: yes. in order to lower fuel bills. We're taxing the oil and gas companies that, that drill and mine the energy in a one-off way, and that money goes directly towards helping
1: cash-strapped households with their fuel bills, with their utility bills, especially low-income families who are suffering incredibly. People who have to use their car, they can't afford an electric vehicle. They can't afford. They've got probably the older vehicles, which are probably Euro four, Euro five vehicles. So they use more fuel. Exactly, and they're probably giving out more emissions. But they can't. They're not being incentivised to move to cleaner fuels. What they're doing is being punished at the pumps, and punished with taxes, and punished with energy bills. The, one of the things we could do is cut VAT, which I know you've been banging on about, Liam, and I support you totally on that sort of thing but the problem with reducing VAT doesn't help small businesses because they can actually claim the VAT back anyway so it's it's not much of a benefit but for the hard-pressed motorists, the person who has to go to work or go to a hospital or go to school medical uh college or something like that cutting VAT would be a good thing but let's get rid of the green taxes now we haven't we've no no need to have this now let's focus on the cost of living of course the government's opposed the windfall tax
0: but in recent weeks even Rishi Sunak who's been the main opponent to windfall tax has started to signal that he may change his mind. What do you think
1: he's up to? It's interesting. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of the backbench MPs, particularly Tory MPs, and the flavour that they're hearing from, actually from a uh, number 11, seems like they might be looking at it. Yeah, but I've heard the same. The important thing about uh, a windfall tax, it's got to be structured in such a way so it doesn't ruin the, the oil company's investment plans. Well, they've got to keep the energy secure and, uh, and supplied in terms of guaranteed of supply. If they do that, I think they get a lot of support. We only need a one-off windfall tax. We don't have to do this uh, uh, on a regular basis. The important thing is is to incentivise oil companies to invest, but also make sure that they uh, stop this fleecing of their customers, i.e. drivers. You
0: are instinctively a, a, a conservative, Howard. I think that's fair to say. And yet you are pretty critical of this government. When you look at a lot of the policies they're putting forward particularly the net zero policies do they strike you as conservative policies do you think they should be scrapped completely do you think they should be slowed down
1: or do you think that the government's got them roughly right uh, they have no way they got it this right uh, net zero is actually a fashion uh, it's it's become a cult approach by this government um this is the most unconservative government i've ever met um or been party to over the years um, In 2019, just before the election, I actually wrote an article for the Sun, which uh, uh, answering the question, which party is the best friend of drivers? And I said the Tories. Obviously, I went through this whole process. It went down. Well, I regret writing that article. They are not the friend of drivers. We've got so many punitive uh, policies hitting drivers right across the country, and local authorities following the uh, various leads. Um, and unfortunately, we've got ultra-low emissions zones, low traffic networks. We've got congestion charges. We've got. We're still the highest tax drivers in the world, despite that 5p cut in the spring statement. And fundamentally uh, it's about time the 37 million UK drivers got some support here and that's one of the things reason why Fairfield UK is going to continue to campaign I do have a lot of backbench support for Fairfield UK's approach and I know Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak are very aware of uh, my campaigning efforts
0: because of course for many people who live outside the cities even if they live in you know towns or, or even small cities public transport just isn't there they
1: need their car to make a living absolutely right and there's little thing matter of it's a freedom of choice why should we be forced into various approaches now obviously i've i've come up to this interview today uh, by train it's brilliant i love it i, I came across uh, by by underground it worked wonderfully well not a problem but we're in central london it's easy but your point is valid where i come from in the country uh, after about eight o'clock there's no more buses my daughter can't go to a nightclub that's 10 miles away you know, good old taxi mum and dad has to go and pick her up. Those are the sorts of things uh, we've got out there. And people need their car to go to various places, especially uh, you, you're looking at people going to hospitals, for example. I, so many people on, uh, are, are, you know, with diabetes are having insulin and, and dialysis and that sort of thing that write into me saying they cannot go on the bus. They have to be, keep clean and, get, uh, uh, and sterile and all the things they have to do to get to these places. And they're being told to go on a bicycle and get onto a cycle lane. We don't have cycle lanes in the countryside. We have narrow lanes and we have bus stops, which are very rarely used by buses. How important is it to Boris Johnson to keep drivers on side, in your view, Howard Cox, if he wants to win the next general election with a majority? Well, he's got to do a massive change his, his whole approach to this is he's got to get rid of this net zero mentality and certainly one of the most important things is to actually put a moratorium on the ban of 2030 uh, sales of new diesel and petrol cars we're only eight years away from that and we're being forced into electric vehicles which we know are fantastic pieces of kit i'm a big fan of electric vehicles i drive a hybrid it's a fantastic i love them to bits but let's not be forced into this sort of thing. There's lots of other technology and that uh, clean fuel technology evolved naturally. We shouldn't be forced into these things. And if he actually put a moratorium on that because he's brought it from 2040 to 2035 to 2030, that's what's happened under a conservative government. And that's what I'm talking about. It's not conservative policy. We are being forced into something where we shouldn't be. Let technology take over and... and stop thinking about the environmental issues and start focusing focusing on the cost of living
0: let's talk a bit more about uh electric vehicles do you really think this ban on new petrol and diesel
1: vehicles in 2030 is going to happen i'm not
0: so sure i just think it's too challenging
1: well certainly be over my dead body if it does because i'm going to be keep fighting the tooth and nail and and, and there's a, a growing uh army Howard, in- i believe you There's a growing army of people who are actually joining up with this, and uh, we've setting up a a little group called Transport Reality. Um, We, every single driver wants to breathe clean air. Everyone wants to leave a planet put it in quotes that it's healthy for the children and our grandchildren but that's not being being forced into a situation where we were going to one form of modal, modal transport electric vehicles it hasn't been costed i'm just about to produce a report cradle to grave analysis between electric vehicles and diesel and petrol vehicles in terms of emissions from cradle to grave mm. and it's going it, to be very manufacturing electric
0: vehicles you need five times more copper than you do on a conventional internal combustion engine vehicle. You need all kinds of industrial metals that take huge amounts of energy to mine. They're often in very difficult countries, you know, on the other side of the world. So it's not just about the fact that you're not burning petrol or diesel in the tank. It's all about the manufacture. And these electric vehicles, they're very, very heavy, aren't they? And how about if the electricity itself is
1: does originate from the burning of oil and gas. Absolutely right. Everything, it, does, it doesn't, just doesn't stack up. It's an emotive decision, this is. It's not based on science. And I can, go, I can spend hours talking to you about this, about climate change, whether it's a climate crisis or climate change. We are, we are going through a climate change, but this is cyclical. It's, it's been happening for years and years and years. And I repeat, drivers want to breathe clean air. But did you know, in the last 10 years, the Road Haulage Association statistics will tell you that the trucks have now have been, uh, emissions have been reduced by 50%. But we don't see that headline. What we see just from
0: is, more efficient diesel engines, yeah, right, Euro clean six. diesel, and yeah, I, I know there's lots of different ways that we've improved
1: diesel emissions we're also living longer Liam. Yeah. The, all the sorts of things are happening um uh, and and the important thing for th- this government to recognize and it's very important to recognize they, none of this was in any manifesto we did not vote for this people did not vote to be told you cannot buy a diesel and petrol i i, I actually moved from a, a diesel vehicle that did 70 to 80 miles to the gallon to a hybrid vehicle that's doing 30 miles to the gallon excuse me It's costing me three times as much to run, there as damn it. But I'm very happy. What's coming out of the exhaust is clean. So how about this as a theory? Could it be
0: that electric vehicles are actually a blind alley, given that you need all those rare earth metals, those other industrial uh, materials that are very hard to get hold of, given that you need all that copper? You know, a lot of people think copper's the new oil. Yes. Price of copper, well over $10,000 a a tonne recently, might it be that we need to skip the technology and move straight to something like hydrogen? For me, you're much more of an energy expert than I am. I think hydrogen is a much more promising form of fuel if we're really gonna generate you know, perpetual energy. If you use renewables to generate hydrogen via electrolysis, and then you burn the hydrogen,
1: of course, which has no carbon, That is clean. And and you get water vapor that comes out. You're you're absolutely right. Uh, My point is, uh, I I, I would like to see a number of technologies working in parallel and see which is the best in terms of a competitive market that works best. The the EV approach is the national grid can't cope. There's no way, if we had 37,000 drivers... Uh, moved over to electric vehicles overnight, we'd be back to a three-day week, Liam. You remember those days? all yeah. You that song? Blackouts? Yeah. All those sorts of things. Brushing my teeth by candlelight? Remember those days? <laughs> and you imagine all of those little 13-amp uh, leads going across the pavements, going everywhere you go. Uh, the, 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 the lawyers are going to have a field day with people tripping up over those sorts of things. But seriously, electric vehicles, uh, you know, there's no doubt that probably there will be a situation where you could go drive into a garage, five-minute charge, off, off you go, uh, and you can do 500 As the battery miles. technology yeah, improves. Yeah, um, g- great. But I'm afraid I don't think that's really going to happen. And the worst thing about this is by putting these edicts in place by the governments all around the world are doing this now, uh, and the UK is loving this uh, being dominated in the lead of green policies. But these electric vehicles fundamentally are not right for people. They're too expensive. They can't be used in a a way that is, if you want to go a long journey, if you want to go up to Norfolk, for example, you've got to allow for about two to three hours uh, stop off somewhere. People in business can't do that sort of thing. And the vans and the trucks, I mean, a truck battery, a 40-ton truck would have to have a 40-ton battery to to do anything like this sort of thing. It hasn't been worked through. It hasn't been costed. There's no cost-benefit analysis about this approach to actually moving over to electric uh, vehicles. What we need to do, your point is valid, hydrogen's one, synthetic fuels. There's even catalysts, fuel catalysts available now, which halve emissions and improve uh, fuel uh, consumption by 10%. (laughs) Why are we not using this sort of thing? I mean, Grant Schatz actually introduced E10, the 10% ethanol from 5% ethanol in our fuel uh, composition for that. So he's not anti actually doing something to actually improve uh, our emissions. But unfortunately, the 10% ethanol means you use th- more fuel, about 3 to 4% more fuel. They're not thinking. And their advice is coming from people fundamentally who uh, from a metropolitan, metropolitan elite who have got, uh, haven't got a clue. They know they can get on a bus, they can get on a train, they can get on a bike. And they, wherever they have to go, they're there in three or four minutes. Get real. The rest of the country isn't London. You mentioned Transport Secretary Grant Shapps. He has
0: um, complained about the lack of Vehicle licensing happening, HGV drivers can't get renewals from DVLA, finding it very hard to qualify. You are very well connected across the road haulage industry, if I may say so, Howard. How close are we to solving these supply chain issues? The shortage of truck drivers, the shortage of licences, because all of this is feeding into inflation too, isn't it? Not just the cost of fuel to transport goods, but the cost of logistical services. Absolutely
1: right, and the road haulage... uh uh, uh authority who backs uh, or association that backs fairfield uk and i thank them they are a brilliant bunch of people they've got a lot of foresight but they've been fighting for years and years to try and get the reputation the uh, uh, of uh, of driving a truck and move it up into a skilled position yeah and and at one stage salaries were really bad they are they have improved recently since the recent, uh uh, uh you know the road haulage uh, problems we had last year in terms of supply of drivers and they're also talking about actually teenagers might be being trained all sorts of things and bringing oh are we going to move to
0: driverless trucks though i mean why would why would you want your kid to train as a road haulier with all respect even though it's a decent wage you know now but isn't it
1: going to be a redundant profession quite soon? No, it's never going to be right. How are we going to get travelling, uh, building all the things that we do, everything that happens on a daily basis, just walking into this studio? You, you can count 50 trucks walk, uh, in the last five minutes going down this road. The fact is, look, there's a pig flying by now. There's no way we're going to have that. A uh, 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 situation whereby a uh, driverless trucks it's or driverless cars i i've actually been you think, ar- what you think is a hoax
0: the whole drive all these clever people in silicon valley with their little goatee beards they're all mad yeah I, would you get in one i might yeah okay well i've been driven depends right- what my insurer said and that's partly <laughs> and that's a good point and that's who's the, partly the issue And who's it? to
1: blame when you've got a, a little baby over there and a dog over there which one do you hit I'm sorry, artificial intelligence cannot actually take
0: away the human so you think the? Whole, i mean look the, the 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 tech titans they want us in driverless cars so if you're in the states you know three hour car journey you're on your screen for three hours rather than driving right so you get more screen time that's partly what's driving it in my view you may have a different view but you you basically think the whole thing will go away, the whole
1: driverless car, driverless truck thing will go away. I suppose people, I'm an old guy, I'm I'm approaching 70, and I I would rather have control of the vehicle and and put my foot down on the clutch and control things like that. It's bad enough having a highway code that was changed recently, whereby everything to do with anything that happens on the road is the driver's fault. Mm. We have a hierarchy of blame, as you know. But no, technology, it should evolve, but it should evolve to help the drivers to actually, in terms of safety, and I cannot believe, and I've been in technology for a long, long time. Yeah. I, cannot, I cannot... That's why I'm
0: interested because you are actually a tech guy. You're not just a bloke that complains about petrol prices. You're a scientist by background. So I assume you've really looked into this before i, I you certainly have things. and
1: I, i've driven around the top gear circuit uh in a driverless car i've or and i've driven around uh, by a professional around there it took me about 180 mile an hour around the circuit was it the stick no it wasn't the stick oh, okay. but well, they, 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 they know the stick there, there's lots of different stigs there were at the time uh but I, i've <laughs> driven around uh, 180 mile an hour in an electric vehicle uh, it was that's awesome it was silent didn't hear a thing mm. wow what's not to love yeah um uh, and fundamentally what what we're looking at in the Moment, is technology is ruling emotion rather than common sense so
0: finally what's your advice to the prime minister the transport secretary
1: the cabinet what's the message from fair fuel man Wake up and smell the coffee, guys, uh, you know, and get back to conservative principles, which is lower taxation and incentivising people and small government. Get those three things sorted out and keep out of the way of actually, well, well put that moratorium on terms of the uh, ban of diesel and petrol sales in 2030. And, and the other thing, very important thing, talk to drivers. Don't just talk to cyclists or talk to the active transport users. Talk to the people, the 37 million who put you in power. Talk to us. Hal Cox. Fairfield
0: UK, great to see you. Cheers, Liam. Thanks a lot for listening to Money Talks with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube or wherever you're listening. Do subscribe to this podcast and also check out my daily television show, On The Money at 1pm Monday to Friday on GB News or via the GB News app. GB News, Britain's news channel.